everyone. Welcome to this episode of Steam of the Classroom. Today we have Liz Gallo on the episode. Liz is the CEO of YMaker, a New York-based organization that aims to bring maker ed to schools and classrooms all around the world. Liz has taught technology and engineering, STEM-based, project-based learning, and design thinking. And she loves to help schools engage in maker education and create maker spaces. So I'm super, super excited that Liz is on today's episode. Um, so welcome, Liz. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here as well. Yeah, um, I love that you reached out to me and I've been looking up Winemaker ever since and there's just so much that it has to offer. So I'm really excited to jump into all of that today with you. Yeah, there we've been figuring out ways to get teachers what they need to help support them, however they could be supported. So that's why there's so much stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, so before we get into all that, could you tell us a little bit about your story and, and how you got to where you are? Sure. Uh, I can give you the long story or the short story. Up which to one you. you want. <laughs> uh, all right. So the long story is fun. Um, long, long time ago when I was in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So my mom was like, just go to school to be a teacher. And I was like, okay, not knowing really anything about being a teacher or really not knowing anyone who was a teacher besides my teachers. So I uh, went to the College of New Jersey and I was originally a bio elementary ed teacher and biology was just way too hard for me at the time. And I was in classes with pre-med students and I was like, I don't even understand what is happening, let alone what I'm supposed to be doing for this work. So I found the math science technology elementary education program and I absolutely fell in love with teaching technology education through the design process. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I learned about the design process the first time, I was like, oh, this is how we should be teaching all of our students. And I was hooked ever since then. I left it is college. <laughs> yeah. I left college. Um, I did some teaching abroad. I came back. Um, I started teaching in a bunch of schools around the New York area, taught K through 12 technology education, um, taught everything from puppet making to robotics to, um, I mean, we did so many things, bookmaking and woodworking and oh, designing wow. homes, um, electricity, electronics. And um, in my last job, I decided that it was time to branch out because I wanted to help more students than the ones that were just in front of me in the classroom. So I took the leap. I left the classroom uh, and I started Winemaker. And now we do professional development for teachers to help them have more STEM, maker ed, technology, design thinking in their classes. Oh, cool. Wow. That's, it's so interesting to me how many different types of STEM you taught. Yeah. I love it. And it's just, it's, it's so true to what STEM really is. There's just so many different avenues that you can go down. Mm -hmm. um, All so with the main focus being that design thinking process mm -hmm. where we're solving problems, we're creating, we're designing, we're working together as a team, we're being innovative. And that, you know, that's the main focus of STEM for me. The rest is just the tools and materials that we add on. Mm -hmm. So true. When you were teaching, um, were you teaching K through 12 all at the same time? Like, were you bouncing between schools or um, did you just, it was like different 
um, schools and different job opportunities? Uh, sometimes I was teaching K through 12. I mean, that's that so common lot. for STEM teachers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, two of the schools I taught K through eight. Um, my last job was just sixth graders, which was amazing to just mm-hmm. really focus on sixth graders and like fall in love with their quirkinesses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and yes, I've done a lot, taught a lot of different people. That's pretty cool. That's, it, it takes a lot to be able to even just teach the, that span, because if you think about it, five-year-olds versus seniors in high school, I mean, that's a huge, that's almost like a whole lifetime, like, of like for the seniors, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, it's so vastly different. Um, and I yeah. think sometimes it's a little overlooked when um, you see teachers that have that wide range of students that they teach all in a day or all in a week. Um, mm-hmm. It's sometimes that's kind of like, not really thought about that, how skilled you need to be in order to be able to teach such a wide range of students. Totally skilled and thoughtful and be able to plan out uh, what you're going to do and how to, you know, do really complicated projects with one group while you're doing simpler projects with another group. So you're not doing two extremely complicated projects at the same time. Oh yeah. Uh, was always my challenge. I, I teach um, three through six and just the difference mm-hmm. between third graders and sixth graders is huge. Yeah. And sometimes yes. I have to like remind myself like, okay, all right, hold on. <laughs> we have yeah. the third graders coming in very different from the sixth graders. Right. Right. Because they're just, um, you know, just developmentally and, um, and just, you know, socially, everything is so different, yes. let alone the curriculum. <laughs> yes. yes. Totally. Um, I have to remind myself to even just define some words sometimes that I'll use because, you know, the sixth graders have been with me for a while, so they already get it. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. No, I got to go back and explain I- what this means. <laughs> Did I say that already today or yeah. not? Yeah. Did you hear that already? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So you ta- you have taught or worked with students in schools all around the world. I would love to learn a little bit more about that and just if maker ed is different around the world or how it's similar. It's kind of your experience in that. All right. So what I learned when I had my first uh, experience student teaching in Croatia was that all children are the same. They just want to be loved and they just are infinitely curious about the world, uh, no matter what country they come from, no matter what they speak, no matter what they look like. And after that experience, that carried with me forever. Um, and you know, currently what I'm seeing with Maker Ed around the world is that Um, And a lot of the schools we work with, there's a really big push for design thinking, Mm -hmm. design thinking mindsets, developing really thoughtful, empathy-based experiences for students because they are headed into companies, into organizations that use design thinking on a regular basis. And they want their employees to be speaking that language. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the schools we work with now are we're really focusing on design thinking and how to build out the vocabulary and those processes and those understandings. So it's a language that kids speak uh, when they leave their, their schools. Yeah. Um, and also just the, the empathy part of design thinking is so vital to it. 
Mm -hmm. And that's something that we do with a lot of schools too, uh, is the empathy piece. What's really interesting is when we work with religious schools, the empathy piece, uh, you know, comes in really heavy. Uh, When we think about like the word stream, so that R standing for religion, that empathy piece comes in really intensely because it's how do we care for one another? How do we care for each other? How do we care for our planet? Which is all, you know, what religion teaches. How do we care for each other? How do we care for one another in the planet? Um, So I absolutely love doing that work too, because there's so much there you can grasp onto and turn into great experiences for students. Mm -hmm. And even just non-religious schools too, like public schools, that, that empathy, it doesn't necessarily have to be the R. Right. Yes. But just knowing that what you're doing is helping someone or having yes. that problem purposely be to solve a solution, so- solve something for what someone else needs. Like, you know, it, I think it makes much more of an impact than just, oh, hey, build a bridge out of popsicle sticks. Totally. You're 100% correct. And that is what we teach no matter what schools we're working with, uh, that empathy piece, that real world problem-based projects for students to come up with great ideas to help others because that's how we engage people. That's how we engage our students. That's how we keep them hooked. And in particular, our girls. Girls love to help others. So STEM projects that help others really hook them into designing and creating solutions and thinking like an engineer and continuing to pursue that pathway Mm -hmm. of STEM careers. And even just if you're you're posing a problem or you're posing some kind of challenge to the students, even if you just add in that little storyline of, you know, instead of just build a bridge out of popsicle sticks, what if, you know there's people on this island that need to be able to get to the main island for their food and their water and and things like that. Just adding in like that storyline can be a starting point too, to add in the empathy if you're not Mm -hmm. knowing where to begin. Yep. We just did this last week. We, uh, uh, every week with Winemaker, we've been hosting weekly workshops. And last week we did a workshop where, we just used cardboard pieces and it was it. for preschoolers, right? The workshop was intended for like preschool teachers to join and uh, learn some techniques that they could be doing with their preschool students around STEM. And what happened was one of our trainers asked her fourth grade student to her child, her real child, mm-hmm. to write a story where someone encountered a problem. And she wrote this whole elaborate story about these two people. They went up a mountain. They loved seeing the view. It was beautiful. And on the way back down, they, a tree fell down in their path. So they had to get over it. So how could you design a solution to help these two people get over the tree? Wow. And yeah, the fact that she wrote her own story to a problem and left it open-ended for a solution is something that, a lot of our students actually do learn when we talk about story features and plot. Uh, So it's totally connected to what students do every day in their lives and building empathy in our writing, in our reading, and in our constructing. So there's so many opportunities for kids to connect the projects they do to other content and to empathize with others. Yeah. And even just what you said, like that is such a 
awesome idea for a classroom project tying mm-hmm. in writing into STEM and STEAM. And you can um, have that literacy component where, um, you know, they're working on their writing. They're also reading each other's or doing peer editing. Like there's so much that you can tie in um, together. And I think sometimes um, people forget just how much literacy can be in STEM mm-hmm. and um, and I love that you just gave that example. Like, honestly, it almost gave me chills. <laughs> As Jayla yeah. would say, gooseies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my spirit animal, Jayla. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> um, okay, so um, what have is there any place in the world that you have worked with that you're just so fascinated by that you would want to share about like just just some experience that you had in in um in teaching or maker ed or anything like that is there any place that you want to describe for us i'm so fascinated by your worldly Uh, experience um that's a really hard question i know you have to narrow it down you have to pick only pick one well, when you were, no, 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 no. When you were speaking, I was like, I was thinking that it's the kids that make the difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's kids all over the world that have made a difference in my life and have impacted my thoughts and my beliefs about the world and us as humans. Uh, and, you know, there's no place in particular that stands out. There are kids in particular that stand out. Oh, wow. um, I think, you know, the world is amazing. There's I truly believe there are more good people in the world than bad. And, you know, kids are incredible no matter where you are, no matter who they are, no matter what language they're speaking. Um, you know, you can communicate with them through STEM, which is something that I love. Um, you know, doing work with children who speak Mandarin, who are trying to learn English, and we're doing robotics. We're doing Lego robotics stuff. And we're in this eight-week program where they're playing with with Lego, and I'm speaking English. And (laughs) we're playing, I know no Mandarin, nothing. And we're playing with the robots, and we're creating and designing. We're following instructions. We're trying to solve problems. And you know, after this eight week program, they come and they're like using words that we've talked about for the last eight weeks, torque, wheel, um, axle. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, all these words that they're speaking in English and they're showing me the products, right? They're showing me the wheel. They're showing me the axle. Uh, so they picked up all this vocabulary naturally just from engaging with the materials and the tools. And, you know, it opened my eyes to, you know, we really should be communicating with our children through hands-on experiences uh, to really help mm-hmm. them learn language, to help them learn content. And there's so many opportunities there to, to, you know, let that happen in STEM classes. Yeah. And even just in the, like in my class, um, I have all the students in the whole school. So we have mm-hmm. um, English language learners as well. And I always kind of get this sense that when they get to have that hands-on experience, and even if they're working in group, even if it's their first week of school in our school, never having been in an English speaking school before, and they get to just build and be together with other students, I think it's comforting mm-hmm. I've noticed like and I've had like the, their homeroom teachers and um 
the ESL teacher that they've said like, oh, this, we love that they have this experience of hands-on and being able to work with the other students, even if they can't quite communicate fully, you can communicate through building mm-hmm. and showing each other what your ideas are through drawing and things like that. And, and I think there's a lot of value in that that might not, not necessarily be intertwined into every type of classroom or learning opportunity, but I, I think there's such a need for it, especially um, when you're trying to communicate across different languages. Yes, definitely. And kids can do that communicating without being so concerned about the words. Mm -hmm. When you watch the kids speak to each or communicate with each other without speaking is fascinating. Yeah. It's almost like as adults, we get a little stressed out when we know we can't really like have a conversation, but the kids are like, oh yeah, we'll just like build together and um, it'll be great. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like they yeah. kind of get that chance to relax together through building. You know what I mean? Like, not like relax, but like that. Yeah. Like the adults. Just be a kid. Yes. Yes. We have the, the stress and anxiety of trying to be perfect as adults and, and trying to do whatever project it is that we're doing in whatever capacity. But when the kids are together, it doesn't matter to them if their friend never talks or if their friend speaks a different language or if their friend is whatever. They just like to be together and to problem solve and to build and to just be hands on. And I think that's one of honestly my favorite parts of teaching is witnessing that and and getting to witness that yes i completely agree uh and you kept saying they're friends they're friends kids are friends with other kids instantly yeah uh (laughs) there's there's no real preconceived rules about making friends at first Exactly. Uh, I mean, even my three-year-old is almost four. He's like, mommy, when I go to pre-K, I'm going to have all the friends. And I was Aww. like, yeah, buddy, you are going to have all the friends. It's yeah. just like, it's just such a wonderful way to look at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. Warms my heart. I was talking with a teacher in the UK the other day whose kids are, have been separated. Their little cohort has been separated from all other kids in the school all year because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And the other day they went outside to play and this other class like took a walk outside just for some fresh air at the same time. And one of the students in her class came running up to her and said, oh my gosh, are those new kids? Can we play with them? We're so excited. And she was like, oh my gosh, it broke my heart because they're kids that they would normally play with or typically play with, but now they can't. So like, she was like, it broke my heart to tell him, no, we can't play with them. We can wave from here, but we can't like play with them. So yeah, kids miss each other now too. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, that's what's happening with my my own children, like my four-year-old and well, almost four-year-old, almost two-year-old, and they look at other kids and they're like, can we go play with them? I'm like, no, we can't. It's like heartbreaking. COVID really mm-hmm. has, has made it, I think, just hard in mm-hmm. so many ways, but just socially for the, for the kids. And we could talk about that in a whole different episode. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> um, so I want to switch gears a little bit. And, um, and I noticed that you have experience working with state and national education policymakers. And I'm so fascinated by this. And I would love it if you could speak a little bit to that experience and really like what is your goal when you work with policymakers? That's such a hard question. So uh, in the past, you know, personally, I've been involved with a lot of state and national um, conversations around STEM education and education uh, and, and what that should look like. Currently in New York State, we're trying to update our technology and engineering standards mm -hmm. so that they reflect the year 2021 and not the year 1991. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we've been working with uh, leaders at New York State Department of Education to help uh, make that happen. And it's a lot of work because, you know, you have to prove that this is worthy and that people are going to use it and that it's necessary. And, um, you know, you're constantly continuing to try to have that conversation and make that fight. Uh, and then nationally, I'm working with Nation of Makers, which is like an organization um, that I, currently, literally this week, I'm going through a policy boot camp on how to advocate to um federal government and decision makers in the government oh, wow. about maker education. Uh, this, you know, last week we did some work around like, what do you want to happen? And, you know, I decided that I want um, design thinking to be taught to all students in America. Mm -hmm. And the challenge was, you know, create a news headline if everything went great with your advocating and your policy changes, what would the news headlines say? And that really helped frame the work that you're going to do. So what, you know, it's kind of like, what is your goal? And when you think about it, like, what is your news headline going to say? And then go from there. So my news headline is all students will have design thinking in their classes or learn design thinking. Um, so that's what we're working on now is trying to make that happen and seeing how we can make that happen. Um, there's a lot when working with the federal government and doing this kind of advocacy that I am still not privy to and I'm excited to learn, but <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, it is work that we're engaging in and there's a lot of fine lines and like stepping on people's toes mm -hmm. and repeating yourself and, um, you know, making sure you're saying the right things to the right people and you're clear in what you're saying. Yeah. So there's a I lot. Can, I can, I can imagine that it's, it's not something where you can just say, Oh, Hey, well, mm. let's get design thinking in every classroom. All right. Let's make it happen. Right. <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, a lot more to it than just, yeah. You know, sharing an idea and, and seeing it unfold. Yeah, and here in America, the the way the education system is set up is, you know, most the federal government doesn't really make mandates about education. That comes from your state. Yeah. So yes, there are national standards. Those are recommendations from 
the national government or the federal government. Mm-hmm. The state government is the one that, hey, we're going to adopt those national standards or we're going to modify them. And that's what everyone's going to follow. So for me at the beginning, I was really, you know, when thinking about this, I'm like, well, what can the federal government do to, you know, change actual day-to-day education for kids? And, you know, what I learned from a lot of the peers in this group is that the federal government can influence with things like, you know, standards or white papers or ideas. Um, And they can also influence with funding, federal grants, um, prizes, and mini grants, big grants, funding for, you know, individual state projects or um, all I'm thinking is the response to intervention program mm. that was implemented or race to the top where states were, were awarded money based on how much they improved. Right. So, you know, that's how the federal government can influence state policy and decisions and education and day to day. Which so is so interesting. Yeah. It's so fascinating because you'd think that they would want, kids no matter where they are in the country to have access to great education and standards and and everything like that and you would think that if a student in Massachusetts moved to New Mexico or something that it would just be you know the same standards Mm -hmm. or something like that it's it's I've always kind of thought it was kind of interesting to say the least that that's Mm. like the way it is here um and i would love to have more um like opportunity for students to be able to do design thing i love that you're that's your initiative so that makes me excited yeah no matter where they are they'll get it yeah that's the goal i mean it, it it needs to happen we need to really rethink how we're educating our children uh on a whole And I really think that like design thinking and STEM and technology education are the way forward because our typical school day, our COVID school day, a lot Mm -hmm. of the times too, doesn't reflect the real world of work where kids are just passive receivers of knowledge. Yes. And, And STEM classrooms are what the real world of work look like. So thinking about how we can better prepare our students for the real world. So when they graduate, you know, companies like Google aren't saying in their first day of training, when they hire a new employee, aren't saying things like, forget everything you learned in school. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that's something they say. And then kids get, and then the grown-ups are like I hate hiring these young kids they know nothing these days they can't figure anything out that's because everything's been spoon-fed to them and you know we haven't given them many opportunities to figure stuff out so you know I hope for an educational future where kids are constantly figuring out complex problems and working together in teams to solve real world problems and dealing with the logistics and you know, researching and empathizing with others and creating and planning and designing and building and testing uh, because that's what happens every day. Yeah. And being able to create without specific 
instructions on how to create whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. allowing that opportunity for the students to make decisions for themselves, mm-hmm. um, I think is so vital. And in my classroom, and I've said this before on like other episodes, just the difference between the beginning of the school year versus the end of the school year. And now that I've had kids um, for several years in a row, the STEAM lab is in its third, third year. Um, the difference between the students that I had their first year in the STEAM lab versus this year is so huge. Day one's always like, no, no, tell us exactly how to do this. What is the answer? And there's been meltdowns and there's been kids that get so frustrated because they just want to know the answer. And I have to work with them and say, well, there's no, there's no specific answer. There's no specific end product. It's what you right. think the solution is. Let's work right. on that. Let's make your solution the best possible solution there is. And just that difference in mentality is just so huge because you're right. A lot of things, a lot of things that students do just in our education system in general, there's an exact response, an exact answer to it. But that's not what real life is. Engineers that are working in their jobs, they don't already know the exact answer to whatever their problem is before they start solving it. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and I think a lot's taken away from students when we don't give them those chances. Yep, yep, yep. that being able to figure it out. Let's try to figure it out. We'll we'll do this together. You know that that's what our kids need. They need more 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 teachers who are encouraging them, like you're encouraging your students. That brings okay. me to my next little question. So I have many friends who are teachers from all over, um, and many times I've heard that teachers don't think that they can make many changes because they're only one person in one classroom. And that's even like just when approaching district admins or um, like they're building principals or anything like that. They just feel like, well, I'm just one person. How can I possibly make a change, let alone make like a change at the state level or anything like that? Do you have any advice for teachers who would want to help make a change like mm-hmm. just from your experience in general? What, what would you say? So number one, there's 20 children in front of you who are going to grow up to be functioning citizens in our society. So start doing things with them that you want them to be when they grow up. Think about the employees you wish you had. Help your students be those people. Help your students be those citizens. Uh, So do the work in your classroom. Secondly, State organizations, state teacher associations are really a great place. They are the conduit between teachers and government. There's a siren going by. (laughs) That's okay. You live in New York City, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would assume that it's probably pretty noisy all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. All the time. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So uh, the state teacher associations are the conduit between teachers and state ed. So a lot of times uh, the state teacher associations work really hard to find other teachers to advocate for changing the way that teachers teach. And, you know, in every discipline, there's an association to help support teachers and to help make those changes. So thinking about Um, joining those organizations, finding ways you can help the people who run those organizations advocate to state ed for change. That is the easiest way to do it. Um, 
and, you know, internally in buildings, find a cohort of teachers who believe in the same things you believe in, work on projects together, try, it doesn't work, try again, doesn't work, try again. Uh, You'll figure it out and it will go right and your kids will have a valuable learning experience from it. So, you know, start small, then think globally and, you know, keep trying. I love it. It's so true. And I like, especially right now, I think just people are feeling defeated and burnt out. And, um, and I think a lot of teachers are thinking like, I, uh, how am I going to make a change? You know what I mean? Like there's just so much on our plates right now as teachers and that I think that's so true. Start with your classroom. You can absolutely make those changes and then see what else you can do. Like move, move into other groups of people. I, I think your advice is awesome. So yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. I think now, especially teachers are finding support in other teachers that are like them. Mm-hmm. And those teacher associations are a great place to find teachers that are like you. Yeah. So they're a great place to reach out to. And I think um, even just your association, your union, uh, a lot of it, I, a lot of times people believe it's more of just contract, contract, that kind of thing. But there is, you're so right. There is so much more to the association than just that side of things, that paperwork mm-hmm. side of things. Um, yep. And yeah. that's like, that's great advice because um, it's, it's so true. Who, how are you going to make change? Um, well, work with the people that work with you and, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so organizations, organizations like the Technology Teachers, Technology and Engineering Teachers Association of Massachusetts, of New York, of Connecticut, uh, the, the International Technology and Engineering Educators Association, mm-hmm. the STEM Network, STEM Connections, those are all great places to go to find people who are like you, who, you know, can collectively make a difference. That's so true. I love it. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about Winemaker and just all of the things you provide, specifically that professional development aspect. Yeah, so we do provide a lot. Uh, the goal is to just support teachers to feel comfortable and confident to teach Maker Ed and STEM Ed, STEM education. Um, so we typically provide professional development to teachers by going to schools or associations to uh, train teachers on how to create STEM maker ed projects. Uh, and, you know, I am like tool technology agnostic, where there are tools on our website that we absolutely love and support and highlight. But uh, but we want you teachers to be able to create your own projects yourself so you feel empowered to teach them. Uh, So we do that through various levels of training um, with different groups and organizations. And that is the purpose of our mission is to provide quality professional development with things you can walk away with tomorrow, professional development that's hands-on where whether we're virtual or in person, we are making Mm -hmm. and creating and we're collaborating with our peers and thinking about how could I do a project similar to this in my classroom. That's awesome. That sounds really um, unique and especially the hands-on aspect, no matter if it's in person or not. 
I love that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's always so frustrating when you're at professional development and they're telling you something like to do or not to do, and they're not even doing it in the professional (laughs) development. You know what I mean? Like they should, especially when they're like, don't have kids sit for more than 10 to 15 minutes, have them up and doing stuff. And then you've been there for like four hours just sitting. (laughs) You're like, oh, or STEM professional developments where they're like, hands-on learning is the best. And you're not doing any right and you're just sitting there like (laughs) yeah um so we've been actually mailing maker kits to schools and teachers that we work with so we can do the hands-on stuff virtually which is so fun because teachers will get a whole maker kit to their home with all the supplies we're going to use for our workshop and then we hop on to the workshop and we go into breakout rooms and everyone builds independently at home, but they're working together on solving a project, a problem, uh, all while figuring out how to plan their own project. So that's work we've been doing with a lot of schools and I love it. It's so fun. It's different yeah. and it's fun and it's rewarding. It sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, like just tremendously rewarding for everyone involved. Yeah, it feels good. It feels good to like be on Zoom and be making at the same time Mm -hmm. without, you know, being on Zoom and just like being a passive listener, which I think a lot of our students feel now. Yeah. That they're just on Zoom being passive listeners or on Zoom doing 2D things on their screen. Right. Or just on Zoom with video off, audio off and just not even engaging because they just, they can't. Nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of substantial creating has come to me recently where, you know, we can say like, make a Google slide. Okay. That's fine. But where's the, the, the substance in that? You know, I can put a bunch of things on the the Google slide and show it off, but I'm not, it doesn't feel like I created something. It doesn't feel like I did a ton of work to make that happen. And I think kids now are so, you know, used to doing slides and jam boards that there's not, there's not a ton of ownership there. They don't have ownership of the things they're doing. Mm-hmm. So when we do get kids making and creating at home, you know, they really do take ownership of that stuff and they're so proud of it and they continue to work on it. And it's not impossible. Like there's plenty of ways that we can get kids making and creating every day at home. Uh, We just need to like take a step back and think about what is possible. What does Mm -hmm. everyone have? What can everybody get access to? How can we make that happen? And as a teacher, it becomes a little more logistical for us um, where we're the ones like kind of managing the operations where um, instead of constantly providing content. Mm -hmm. So instead of constantly making videos, talking about this thing, doing that thing, making this slideshow, doing this thing, we're having the kids do all the work where we're just suggesting and, and posing problems and challenges and walking them through their difficulties instead of, you know, constantly providing the content. So you're the facilitator version. You're the facilitator. You're truly the facilitator. So you just have to, it's a mind shift from thinking I'm the one doing all the work to the students are the ones doing all the work. Mm -hmm. So true. All right. So before we wrap up, I would love to know about you personally and Mm -hmm. what's your favorite thing to make or like, do you have a specific material that you like to make with? Um, What makes you happy? So this is like a cop-out answer, but it's really not. Um, for Christmas, my fiance got me um, a Lego Empire State Building. 
fun. And I like loved every second of building that Lego Empire State Building and it made me feel so good. And I want to buy all of the buildings, but they're all so expensive. That is true. (laughs) So that was just a moment recently where I was like, this makes me really, really happy. I'm also into paper folding lately and I'm working on building a paper elephant head. Oh, cool. It's taking longer than expected. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, it's going to be big. But Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> like hanging up on the wall huge? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, that yeah, but that's been fun. But it's, you know, something that you could do at home. There's nothing else. To, you can't go outside. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm, I mean, I, both of those sound really fun. It's whatever really like makes you happy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and like, that's become like one of my favorite questions to ask the students, like, what do you love to make? And they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, when you use your hands and there's something that you create with them and they're like, I don't create anything. Exactly. And, and it's like, problem. yes, but, but then you talk about it and you're like, yes, you do. Let's go over like what your like day-to-day looks like or something like that Mm. and a lot of times it comes down to like oh yeah um I was helping out in the kitchen and we Mm -hmm. were making pizzas and I was like oh what what was that word and they're like we were making pizzas and I said oh you were making yeah you were constructing the pizza and then like the kind of the aha moment happens and they're like oh wait a minute I do making all day and I do things like that and then it kind of it's easier to pull out the what brings you joy in Mm -hmm. making from like those conversations but they don't realize Mm -hmm. that it's all around them um and then you know you always have the students that really don't do any making and we have to find what makes them happy right right so the idea that doing things creating stuff with your hands makes you happy makes kids happy and they're struggling to explain to you what they're making with their hands is the part that concerns me because Mm. they're not doing enough of it. They're Mm. not getting those experiences as much as they should. And I think the resources that we had in our school buildings was a place where a lot of kids were making and creating. And now that they're at home and they don't see those resources and there's not the adult there encouraging them in the way maker educators know how to, they're really struggling with that substantial creating and ownership um, that brings them joy. Yeah. And, um, and just even the like self-care that is mm-hmm. in making and creating, there's so much um, that just mentally is just so good for you. And I think the, I think for STEAM and STEM, there's a lot more self-care to it than people probably realize and how good it makes you feel when you create mm-hmm. something and, and how good it feels to just have your brain focusing on that and kind of, kind of like ignoring all the other mm-hmm. um, noise in the background of whatever it is. Um, that's at least how I feel when I'm mm-hmm. being creative. And, and even just like lately, um, I, um, I got a Kindle and um, because I haven't been able to really where we are right now, we just can't have a lot of books. And um, 
and when my kids being so little, it's, it's hard to read, <laughs> not going to lie. And just realizing um, and being able to read at night is just has bringing, it's just been bringing so much joy to my life that I mm. was missing. And me realizing that, that there, to me, reading a book that I can't stop, I can't put down um, instead of like watching just whatever mm-hmm. it is on TV or, you know, kind of mindlessly staring at it, but really just scrolling on my phone. Like there's just so mm-hmm. much more joy in reading for me. And I think that students probably feel similarly when they're creating that there's so much joy in creating and they had a blast doing whatever it is that they were making versus maybe they were just like vegging out doing something else yeah Um, I think that's something that's really just been lost in totally the pandemic yeah there's a sense of accomplishment when you create and make something and it works and you made it and that's a part of the self-care too is that they feel this sense of pride and accomplishment that mm-hmm. they really don't feel elsewhere. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, Liz, this has been fantastic. And I really, I would love to just keep picking your brain, but um, <laughs> you're a busy lady. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. But before you do, I would love if you could share how people can find you, how people can find about Winemaker and um, what the social media handles are. Sure. So we're www.ymaker.co, W-H-Y-M-A-K-E-R.co. And we're at Ymaker on all of the social channels. Uh, Every week we host workshops for teachers to talk about STEM and maker ed in their classrooms now. So join us every Wednesday afternoon. Uh, You can find that on our website, on our STEM community workshops. Um, We have a great online course that's all about the maker ed professional development I was just talking about where we can send you a maker kit. You can do it all by yourself. You don't need your whole school to buy into it. If you're super into it, then the online course is for you. Uh, And yeah, we are around. You can reach out to me, email me, you can send me. I have a cool texting app where you can text me and every week I send teacher tips. Oh, so you could text. Yeah, it's awesome. So you can send a text to 347 um, 584. Nope. 584 That doesn't sound right. I forget the number. <laughs> All the numbers are the same. I'm sorry. I will get it. <laughs> I'll make sure to put the number in the um, oh, I was right. notes too. It was right. 347-584-8461. So you can send a text, tell me you heard me on Tori's podcast and you will start getting teacher tips every week. That's super cool. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, uh, my website, steamuptheclassroom.com. You can find me on Twitter, steamuptheclsrm or Instagram, steamuptheclassroom. Liz, this has been so amazing. I'm so happy that you reached out to me. Um, I love what you're doing. I love Winemaker. I'm going to deep dive into it um, even more so than, um, than just when you had originally reached out. And, um, and I, I just think there's so much to offer. Um, so I'm so excited to get to know you more as we like move into you know, life and other things. Um, so please stay in touch. Um, and, uh, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful talking. <laughs>